Thank you, Rachel. I appreciate that. I think if we would spend a little bit of time every day thinking about the cross, thinking about the Lord, it would probably affect many things that we do. I know I have been guilty of not always doing that, and I think that's a great reminder of what we ought to think about. Uh, what you think about as a man thinks of his heart, so is he. It will impact our actions. I want to thank every student here for the great start to the school year. Uh, your attitudes, everything I've seen has been great. I know the classes I've taught, man, the young people have been on time. They've listened well. It's been a blessing to me personally. And uh, I hope that this semester will be a great blessing to you. Uh, I made a commitment yesterday to pray daily for your continued health. I praise God for the jobs that have been available already. And for those of you who are CDK, they hope to start training a week from Monday, 40 hours that week for training, all paid training. And, uh, and then at least 25 hours a week after that. You can do more at Christmas, more in the summer. Uh, God's been so good to us. We have so much to thank him for. I think the spirit, I hope you go to the Luel on Saturday. Uh, I know I'll be there uh, helping Mr. Burt with some things. And uh, I know it'll be a great time. And it's always a fun way to start the year. I did the activities here for about 15 or 17 years, and one year, for some reason, in my absolute ignorance, I scheduled the luau in November. <laughs> that particular evening, the weather hit 37 degrees with very brisk winds. We were so desperate, we started a bonfire in the sand volleyball court. At our idea of a luau, we were all wearing our Hawaiian towels wrapped around us, trying to stop shivering. It was not a big win, okay? So at that point in time, we moved the Luau to the first month of the school year. If you've been in my classes in the past, you know that I say that I've always had four goals for my children and the same four goals for students. The first goal is to develop a heart and a walk with God. And I believe that starts with reading the Bible every day. For most of us, it's best to do that in the morning. I knew a few people who had their devotions at night. They're very faithful. They never miss. But I found in my life it's best to start the day in God's Word. Secondly, develop character. Uh, that's what college does. Get a job. Keep a job. Be in class on time. Turn your projects in on time. Pay your bill on time. Be at your ministry on time. Character. Thirdly, I hope while you're here you will develop a soul consciousness. Do you realize that everyone will spend eternity somewhere forever? Everyone you see is going to be in either heaven or hell. I ran home for about 20 minutes to get lunch the other day, and a man was there fixing a television for the cable company. And he was working. I asked him, he went to church. He goes to St. Mary's in Palmdale. And Lisa had a chance to say, you know what, you can know for sure you're on the way to heaven. And I gave a gospel track. I put my cell number. I said, I know you're working right now, but if you want to talk to me about that, here's my number. He's going to be in heaven or hell. And fourthly, my goal is to learn that if you don't have it, don't spend it. The Lord Jesus Christ came for a primary purpose. His purpose was to seek and to save that which is lost. And if we're going to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, we too need to be about our Father's business. I've added another prayer for you this year, and I'm praying that God will give you fruit that remains. I often ask people when I'm traveling, 
I said, do you have fruit that remains? They said, what do you mean by that? I said, is there anyone in your church that you led to Christ? Or you invited a church and they got saved in the church, you would share in that fruit. I was with a pastor in Twin Falls, Idaho this summer. I'll never forget. His name was Bruce Carlson. He's had three daughters attend school here. They've all graduated, and one's a pastor's wife in Arizona now. Just great family. When I met him, I stayed at their home one night. He was a FedEx driver. He said, I, I said, do you have any fruit that remains? Who's here because of you? And I often ask that question. I forgot about that, and I went back a year later, and he says, Dr. Rasmussen, do you remember what you asked me last year? And of course, I did not. He said, you asked me if I had any fruit that remains. And I said, oh, I asked that of a lot of people. He said, I want to introduce you. He said, I've got three families in the church now that I led to Christ. Wow. Would you like to know, as Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story? He's now the pastor of that church. The church has grown. It continues to reach people. The Bible says, I have commanded you and ordained you that you should bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Turn with me to your Bibles this morning, if you will, to Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. Two very, very short verses that I hope you'll memorize and I hope you'll think about. And if you do meditate on these verses, I think you will be more aware of the subject today, and I've titled the message today, The Value of a Soul. The Bible says this in Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and 37. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I pray you will help me these next 20 or 25 minutes to clearly explain a very, very important thought dealing with the value of a soul. I pray that we'll have a burden to reach on your behalf people so their souls will be saved and spend eternity in heaven. I pray we'll be serious about it. I pray we'll be willing to carry tracts on our person, be willing to give tracts out. I pray that when we go on visitation, we won't just be checking off a box, but we'll seek to make a difference in the lives of others. Lord, I pray you'll help me to do that. Lord, I ask that you'll give me fruit that remains this year. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When a soul is lost, it is immeasurable. It's irreplaceable, and it's irreversible. I told that cable man, I said, this is what the Bible says. And knowing he was Catholic, I said, sir, there is no purgatory. I said, purgatory is not in the Bible. Men have made that up. So I said, you better know you're going to heaven, because if not, you will go to hell. I said it kindly. I gave him a track. I gave him my number. Years ago, there was a famous preacher. His name was Paul Rader. His church was called the Rader Tabernacle. He preached a sermon in 1916 called The Worth of a Soul. This is not from that message, but I did read the message. It was printed, and it impacted me. 
It made me think about the fact that everyone I meet will spend eternity somewhere forever. He said this in that sermon, one statement I will quote. He said, a soul is more valuable than all the world. I agree with that. I'd like to ask you a question this morning. What has value to you? I get one paycheck a month from the college for my housing allowance. When you're ordained, you can have part of your check. It's not extra money. It's taken from your check, and it's a tax-exempt for people who are ordained. It's the only check, really, I get. And for some reason, I was that I could deposit that by taking a picture of it and sending it to my bank. I usually do that as soon as I get a check. And I was in a hurry. I opened the envelope, my housing allowance check. I tore off the memo pad and tore up the memo and the envelope, I thought. And when I looked to sign the check, it wasn't the check. It was the other part of the check that says what the check was for. I had torn up the check. Moron. (laughs) I kept that which had no value. Now, I can assure you, I went and saw Mrs. Chapman very quickly. I showed her what I had saved, which had no worth. I said, can you possibly get me another check so I can pay my house payment? And of course she did. I did not know that I had thrown away something of great value and kept that, which had zero value. I think sometimes with our lives, we throw away opportunities that have great value and we spend our time on that which has little value. We have a missions conference here. You're going to enjoy being here for that. And you'll hear us emphasize the souls of men. You'll hear from missionaries that are already on the mission field, others who are attempting to go to the mission field. And it's an exciting time. Dr. Getz and I have said for many years, if we can get them to missions conference, they'll be okay because it impacts the heart. Everything that goes along with this is good. Well, what is this all about? It's about the value of a soul. Can I talk to you this morning briefly about what makes a soul valuable? I'd like you to write this down if you would. The value of a soul is based on who made it. Who made it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God made your soul. Psalm 100, verse 3 says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Let me take that one phrase again. It is he that hath made us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. He is the potter, we're the clay. He has breathed into us the breath of life. Why is something valuable? Because of who made it. Maybe someone here could paint something. 
But if someone paints something, and his name is Leonardo da Vinci with The Last Supper, that's a painting that is invaluable. We'd have no idea the value of that. God made your soul. And God made the souls of every man or woman you'll come into contact with. I have an illustration I'd like to show you. I was preaching at a place, Dr. Getch has preached there many times. It's a camp called Treasure Mount up in Marble, Colorado. I think I have a picture of a little piece of marble here. And that is a little piece of marble. It's a chip that fell off marble that trucks were carrying. There's a lady who works there for Brother Bowman, and she'll paint little flowers on them, and she'll sell them to help fund money for the camp. I bought that. It's on my wife's dresser. Now, don't consider me cheap, but I'm about to tell you what I paid for it. $5. Because we do not know the lady who paid for that. It was just a little keepsake. I was speaking there at a men's retreat, as I've done several times, and I brought that back for her. But I'd like to show you another piece of marble. This is called the Paeta. This was carved by Michelangelo. That purports to be Mary and the Lord Jesus Christ after his crucifixion. This statue was badly damaged by a mentally deranged man back in 1972, and today it's restored. It's protected by bulletproof acrylic glass. The value is invaluable. They actually brought it to America to show it a World's Fair. They put it in a case on the deck of a ship that if it got underwater, it would explode, and the whole case that held it would float so it couldn't be lost. It's got great value. It depends on who made it. I have another picture of a lamp. And this is a fake Tiffany lamp. You could buy this online for $137.98. I've always liked stained glass. I don't know why. I've always liked it. I've got a couple stained glass panels that a good friend of our ministry has made and given to me. I used to hang in my other office where I had a window and light would catch them. They're in our little kitchenette now. This is a fake Tiffany lamp, and I'm sure that the glass there is not even real glass. It's probably plastic. But I'd like to show you another real Tiffany lamp. This was made by Louis Tiffany. That recently went on sale for $550,000. Suffice to say, I did not buy it. <laughs> Where's the value? Because of who made it. The difference is who created it. Secondly, the value of a soul is based on its rarity. Its rarity. I have a picture here of the rarest American coin that I know of has been for sale. It's the flowing hair silver dollar. It sold for $10 million in 2013. If you find one of those in your change, you might want to keep it. It was only made between 1794 and 1795. It's very rare. The rarest autograph that we know of in the world that is extant or that exists is this autograph right here. That's not it right there. It's actually of Christopher Columbus. This is a really valuable autograph. This is an autograph of George Washington. 
This was his personal signature on his personal copy of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. This signature is valued at $9.8 million because it's rare. I have a picture of what I believe is the rarest car that has been sold in the last 50 or 60 years. I think we have a picture of it. It's a Ferrari. This Ferrari was made in 1963, and this Ferrari sold for $70 million. Very rare. But can I say this? Your soul is more rare than that. The souls of men and women is more rare than that because each is one of a kind. The psalmist said that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So a soul is valuable, first of all, because of who made it. A soul is valuable, secondly, because of its rarity. You are special. You are unique. And every soul has great value because each is one of a kind. We know that no two snowflakes are alike. By the way, you may know that no two fingerprints are alike in the whole world. That's why they take, you know that no two iris scans are alike. God is an amazing creator. My dad passed away a year ago in August, and when I was in the state of California, I would drive down every Monday to see him. Hour and 45 minutes down with traffic, spend an hour, hour and a half with him, about an hour and 15 minutes to get home. One night, there was beautiful, beautiful sunset in the west, and I took some pictures just through the windshield. I wanted to show my dad, and he said, son, he said, God is the greatest artist. And the greatest artist of all time created your soul. A soul is also valuable because something is valuable based on its longevity. How long will it last? You will know some of these brands, Carhartt, jeans, jackets, boots, because they last. Yeti cups, hydro flasks, L.L. Bean boots, KitchenAid mixers. How about a black cast iron skillet that could last for five generations? A little disgusting, you don't use soap or water on it, but you know, just saying. But 200 years from now, they will not be here. But a soul will last forever. The longevity of something. How long is forever? I'd like to use an illustration of one of the great evangelists who ever lived. His name was Billy Sunday. And I quote, If a little bird could come to earth and take a grain of sand in his beak and fly off yonder in space to some distant planet and there deposit that grain of sand, and it took him a million years to make that trip and a million years to come back, if that little bird could last long enough to remove from this earth Every grain of sand, when he had done his job, it would just be breakfast time in eternity. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around eternity. Oh, I've used a circle, no beginning, no ending. It never stops. And that's how long a soul will last. And friends, do you have someone who might spend that eternity in hell? 
think it might be worth our prayers, our effort to make a difference. We have a young boy living with us this semester. His name is Steve. He's from China. His English is challenged. Andrew has been a help and a blessing. I appreciate that, Andrew. We're going to have you and Esther over for one thing to translate for us. My wife was asking him the other day, and I want you to think about this. His dad lives 2,000 miles away from the family where he works. He only comes home on holidays. His dad's a believer. He's paying a lot of money to put him in Lancaster Baptist School. My wife said, Steve, she said, did you always want to come to America? He says, no. Listen to this. She says, why are you here? He said, my dad wants me to become a Christian. We're praying about that. And hopefully with Andrew or Esther, we can explain the gospel. And I will have to go back, I'm sure, to creation, as my daughter and son-in-law do in Thailand, where they deal with Buddhists. But I hope you'll pray with us. You get saved. Because that 14-year-old boy will spend eternity somewhere. What are we going to do about that? That child on your bus route will spend eternity somewhere. So are we just having fun? Are we striving to see the souls of men get saved? You have such an advantage being here. My life was changed coming here 25 years ago in this one area. Almost everything else I've done before for 20 years, run dining halls, been over administration of a lot of things, teach history, teach Genesis, teach education classes, all that's the same. But seeking to have fruit that remains changed here. And that's our prayer for you. Pastor says, keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is soul winning. One of our basketball players came to me yesterday, right down here after chapel. He said, Dr. R, I got to lead two people to the Lord in the prayer line. Praise the Lord. One of the young men advanced and got to lead a young man to the Lord about three days ago. Praise the Lord. That, friends, is the most important thing we could do. The soul is going to last forever. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. That's it. Those are the two choices. Everlasting punishment or life eternal. Your body will die someday. My body will die if the trumpet does not sound first. And my soul, your soul, and everyone's soul will spend eternity somewhere. Do you think about that? Are you ready when you go out today to reach in your pocket and take out a gospel track and say, I've got some good news for you. This could tell you how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. And I'll tell you a very profound thought. You ready? 
the people who give out tracts are the people who carry tracts. They're free here. Ladies, have them in your purse. I want that to be as part of me getting ready of the day as putting a pin in a three by five card in my wallet, my keys, and a handkerchief. Be ready to give an answer. Start today. Today's the first day of the rest of your life. Grab some of the way out. They're free here. We have great, beautiful, colorful tracks that we can give away and plant that seed. Some sow some water, but God gives the increase. How much seed have you sown this week? Maybe you've never left campus. I get that. There's days I never leave the campus. But are we ready to share the gospel? The value of a soul finally is based on what someone would pay for it. The Bible says, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, For as much as ye know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold. By the way, all silver and gold will perish. It's all going to burn up someday. From your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. A verse that I would believe probably every one of you knows in here. Is John 3.60, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Never get away from the truth that God gave his very best so that we might be saved. Sacrifice is a, a strong word. <laughs> you parse that. It always involves cost but it's almost incomprehensible. I could tell you some stories about people who sacrificed the life of a son to save a train that was coming, and I know several stories like that. But God gave his perfect son, the Lamb of God, to pay for the souls of men. Don't get away from that truth. If you will, The next move is up to you. It's up to me. Probably my favorite day of last summer, and I, I love traveling, I love preaching, I love trying to challenge people about soul winning and encourage them in the Christian life. But we had a meeting in northern Washington this summer, and we had to drive seven and a half hours that day to get there <laughs> to go to a dodgeball tournament. That's a long way to drive to a dodgeball tournament. We got there, and I said, well, I talked to the youth pastor, and I said, what do you want us to do? He said, well, we just really want to play games, and maybe your young people could sing a song and give a testimony or two. He's the boss. I said, okay. But Dr. Guest, there was about 60 or probably 60 first-time visitors there. They had cash prizes for dodgeball, $100 for the first-place team, 50 for the second, 25 for the third, and free pizza. That brings teenagers out. And the youth director, a young man from another school, he said, you know, maybe it would be good if you shared the gospel. <laughs> I think so. I went into the other room and I spent about 15 minutes writing a three-point outline. I remember I said, you're going to spend eternity somewhere forever. It was about July the 9th. I said, we're all going to die someday and we don't know when. You might remember this on July the 4th, there was a goalie in the National Hockey League from Latvia. Played for the Columbus Blue Whalers, I think they're called. I'm not a hockey fan. 
And on the holiday, his coach, who was from the same country, says, why don't you come to my house? My daughter's getting married. We'll have a great feast. And then you can just kind of relax me for a day or two before you go back to where you live. And he said, yes. And on that 4th of July, that young man, 24 years of age, in the prime of life, a professional athlete was sitting in the hot tub and the coach was lighting off fireworks and the tube that fired the cannon rockets tipped over and shot at him, hit him right in the chest and killed him. He had no idea that would happen that day. And today, ladies and gentlemen, he's in eternity. I told that story. I had no idea that there had been a football player that had a concussion in that town, a small town. I don't think there's 5,000 people in that town up there. I mean, they're 30 miles from the Canadian border. Had gotten a concussion. He told the people he was okay. And he went back and played a game about two weeks later, got hit in the head again, and died that week. It was the biggest funeral in the town's history. I didn't know that story. Friends, can I tell you, we don't know when people are going to die. I knew Lori Thompson very well. Her parents were in my Sunday school class. My wife taught her in her class. I had no idea that Lori Thompson, a great Christian young lady, who recruited people for our discipleship program, would die at 24 of cancer. We need to use the time we have. Just maybe. I know you're preparing for ministry, and I, I'm proud of you for it. It's wonderful. You're answering the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you don't know how long you'll have to minister. I had a young lady who worked for me in the yearbook office at the first college where I served, and she was great. She met a young man. They fell in love, and they got married the week after school. They had a brief honeymoon. I think it was the week they came back. They got everything. They I said goodbye to them. They had a car with a little tiny trailer, like a six-foot trailer. That's all they had. They were taking off for Arkansas. They never got there. There was a massive chain collision in the freeway. Seventy cars were involved. I think eight people died, and both of them died. The only ministry they had was what they did in college. Can I challenge you? Redeem the time. Be soul conscious now. Wouldn't it be awesome if you left here in May? You said, there's somebody attending the church that I led to Christ today. That'd be a great thing. I have one more picture I'd like to show you. It's a picture of six people. Hopefully they have that. It's right there. These people have all been in my Sunday school class. On the far right hand, Dr. Getsch knows all these folks here, is Phil Sobrano. Phil, I met him in his house. He lived on Avenue K at the time. <laughs> I remember asking, I said, what are your hobbies? He says, beer and softball. Where do you go from there, right? Well, I like softball, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Don't like beer. Phil came, obviously, from a Hispanic family. He'd served in the military. He was a go-getter. He owned several rental homes. He'd worked for Northrop, Lockheed. He had all kinds of certifications. And on my seventh visit to Phil's house, Phil trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. That was a blessing. Phil got baptized in this baptistry here. He went through discipleship. I love Phil. Two years ago, Phil passed away, and he's in heaven today. He was our head usher in the balcony. One of the great events of my time at Lancaster Baptist Church is seeing Phil get saved. On the far left is Ollie Winheim. 
His wife, Karen's right in front of him. They're there at the Reagan Library. It's Ray and Ruth Houck in the middle. And Ollie Winheim was a public school teacher, as was his wife, for 50 years. He'd been through some hard times, been married a couple times. I got to meet him 22 or 23 years ago, and I was able to lead Ollie to Christ. Last Tuesday, Ollie slipped into eternity. Next Saturday, the 11th, I'll preach his funeral. Ollie would say, I love you, Mark. You helped me to get to know Jesus. These two men were people I came across. And I'll come across more people this year. But you and I will not come across the same people. You will give account for those you will come across. And I'll give account for those that I come across. I'll get on a plane and fly to Texas next month. And later in the month, I'll fly to Seattle to speak. When I fly with my wife, as we often do, I always sit by the window. I can put my shoulder in the window and give her a little bit more room. I don't sit on the aisle because the cart always hits me. I don't think I've sat by my wife in 15 years where she didn't witness the person next to her in the seat. And I will say this, do a lot of them get saved? No, but a few have. I'm aware that wide is the way that leads to destruction, many there be that find it. But there is a narrow road, and it's our job to guide people to that narrow road. I'm asking God to help me to do a better job at that this year. I'm asking God to help you to do that this year.